Hello everyone and welcome to another virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual and for today's episode I have the opportunity to talk with Dr. Roger Thompson, an experienced vet and founder of MQIQ, a milk quality consulting service that has developed a long career and expertise in milk quality. He recently received the Preventive Dairy Medicine Award from the American Association of Bovine Practitioners and he's also a member of the faculty in the Animal Science Department here at Michigan State University. Today we'll be talking about evaluating what happens in your milking parlor with a parlor performance evaluation. So let's get started. Very happy today by having Dr. Roger Thompson with us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Martin. Great to be with you. What they have told me is that you have been in more parlors than restaurants along your life. Is that true? Absolutely. I've been all across the country, done some international travel, and it's always finding my way into a parlor, which is my happy place. That takes me to my first question before we start the actual topic for today, which is talking about parlor performance evaluations. I just wanted to know a little bit more about you and, and why milk quality? What is it about milk quality that spike your interest so you have developed a 30-year career on it? So I've been a practicing dairy veterinarian for 42 years. And in the journey of being a dairy veterinarian, it happened here in West Michigan. Had a client that had an uptick in mastitis. He announced it. And uh, this was many, many, many years ago. And I didn't know anything about milk quality other than, hey, you know, ought to have cow's teats clean when you milk. So went into the parlor, watched a little bit, suggested to the my client that Maybe he needed to clean his cows better, do a little better prep, but I I was just guessing as much as anything. <laughs> I didn't come out of vet school with anything that I was really good at. I could palpate cows and just do surgeries, just general stuff. And the dairyman looked at me, he said, no, I, I, you're, you're not right. I think it's the equipment. And I said, so haven't you had your dealer come in and look at it? Yeah, I don't trust him, but he said everything's okay, but I don't think he's right. You got anybody else to come come in? No, you know, they've done my work for years. I just walked away with great frustration. Wow, what can I do? How could I help this? And then three and a half to four years later, I that kept stewing in me, just kept bothering me. And I went and took a short course at the Bovine Practitioners uh, Annual Meeting a couple years later with milk quality experts, got very courageous, went and bought some equipment. I was able to go back to my client and say, hey, can I? check the equipment. Yeah, let's do it. So I did. And with great trepidation, but with a touch of confidence, I said, I think everything's checking out to what I've been taught. Oh, so what do you think the problem is? I think you're milking dirty cows. Oh, <laughs> okay. So what can we do? I, that Seriously, that really happened. And that was 25 years ago. And yes. from there, it just became a little bit more important in my practice. I was still palpating cows doing other things, but it just grew and grew and and it just meshed with who I am and the things I like to do. So he started like a challenge almost where you were out there and then it's like, oh, you think I'm, I don't know what am I doing? Well, I'm going to get good at it. And <laughs> yeah, and the challenge was in my own head. I'm not yeah. good at this. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and you know who wins on all of this? The cows. Yeah. The ultimate winner is the cows. They get a better experience. Yeah, that when when I talk about parlor performance, I talk that the cow is the protagonist. We're just translating what the cow is saying. Amen uh, to that. That's, in that's, a language we can right. understand. 
<laughs> yeah, and they're talking to us all the time. If you would just stop and listen, the cows are very chatty. Talking about part of performance, can you describe to our listeners that haven't done one or haven't been through one, what entails to do a part of performance analysis on a dairy? So there's two angles or there's two purposes for evaluating a milking system. One would be just general function. There's all sorts of standards that have been established over the decades. So there's a large global group called International Standards Organization, and they had experts come together and argue and debate and come up with rules for all different manufacturing systems uh, that you can imagine. You might see on big factories a sign that says ISO certified something 9000 or that that means that they are following the rules for making something. And, and ag is the same thing. Milking systems have ISO standards. So to come in and evaluate a system for the basic function is the most fundamental uh, analysis we can do in a milking system. There's rules for vacuum, for pulsation, for blah, blah, blah. All of those things have rules. And um, that's the starting point. More frequently today, what a dairyman wants to do is they'd like to talk about performance of the parlor, not just basic function. So I know that sounds like the same thing, but it's not. So performance today means basically it's, can I milk a few more cows? That's the real question they want to know. So I've got this old beat up little car that I drive around, so to speak, my parlor. I want to turn it into a Ferrari and I want to go really fast. Yeah. And, you know, and I build another barn and I got to get all these cows milked and I want to try to stay on a 24 hour schedule. And can I milk a few more cows faster? So that's the new performance that we're looking at more times than not. What can I do to increase my efficiency? So there's parlor efficiency and then there's milking time efficiency. There's lots of words being thrown around, all of them really anchored in the, the bottom line. The dairyman wants to or needs to for survival economically. I got to milk some more cows. You know, can you briefly describe, you step into a parlor, what it's your overall approach, you know, in summary, because we're not going to go into too much detail. The system has a, a, just a rhythm to it. it. It has some rules to it. So if I've not been someplace before, I start in the mechanical room. I'm going to look at the vacuum pump. I'm going to look at the piping. I'm going to watch the routing. I'm going to follow it all the way through the walls, get into the parlor. And then I'm going to watch uh, what they're doing in the parlor, listen to the parlor. And then I have testing equipment the vast, vast majority of what we're going to be doing in a parlor is measuring vacuum. So you have compressed air in a parlor that comes in to lift gates and close gates and lift the exits, the rapid exits. So we're not, we're not looking at the compressed air side of it. We're going to look at the vacuum side because that's how we help pull or invite the milk to come through the street canal and how mm -hmm. we get the milk uh, coaxed into the receiver. And uh, so vacuum, 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 vacuum. And we're going to look at it at multiple sites. There are specific locations. The ISO uh, slash NMC standards tell us to see what the vacuum is, not only what the level is, but how stable is it over time. So stable vacuum is a really big deal, uh, especially in the system. So I have testing gizmos that I, I'll put around different places. Then the other thing, the new thing we, we can do, and, and we have these um, we have these little devices that you can strap right onto a shell of a milking unit. And these are Vidias or Vadias vacuum diagnostic equipment. Now we can not only be checking vacuum levels in the milking line at the receiver, 
in the claw, that's the most fundamental vacuum I want to know. What's the claw vacuum? Because that's what the cow feels and that's what has the liner closing and massaging is what's that claw vacuum. But we can put a body on, uh, on a, a milking unit and we can watch cows being milked. And we can use vacuum as a proxy for milk flow. And now we get this thing called MTTs, milking time tests. And with that, we can evaluate the comfort and the general experience that the cows in a given herd are having based on the equipment and vacuum settings uh, that, that the milking event is on a given dairy. And then we connect that with visual observations. And my favorite, my favorite test, my favorite interview of the cow is the stripule test as units come off. I think I call that the most intimate interview I can provide <laughs> on a cow uh, to ask her. I'm, I'm asking her, what do you think of the last four or five minutes that this milking machine was on, lady? How was it? Did you like it? You touch, you look at her teats, look at color, look at teat ends for roughness, look at skin for smoothness or roughness, and then touch. See how much milk is left in and how does she react to physically being touched uh, right after milking. And that's it. I mean, you put all that together and you start to get a package, a, 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 an idea of what's going on. And it takes time. I tell you over and over again, the first few minutes in a parlor and a manager or a dairyman will come up and, you know, and sidle up to you and say, hey, doc, glad you're here. What do you see? Mm, just got here. Just got here. Uh, get with me in a couple hours. You're going to be there to try to find the real need. And I can't tell you how many times that I'm, I'm in a parlor, I'm getting things on, I'm getting my testing equipment on and I'm watching. Um, I'll find a pail or I, I have a little camping stool now that I carry with me and I'll sit at the end of the parlor, lean up against the wall and I just start to watch. And an hour, two hours into the visit, all of a sudden I start noticing things that I hadn't noticed initially. And, and I'm, I've got a little notepad and I'm writing notes to myself and it, yeah. I start to get a picture and it takes a while. I take the same approach whenever I'm doing one, you know, I want to spend at least four, six hours in a parlor, ideally more than one shift. I try, I try to get yeah. to a parlor whenever they're changing. Yep. So then I, I do not only see one team of guys yep. and then I try to pair what I see on the protocols. Cause that's a big part of what I put attention to, to what the cows are telling me through the varias, right? If yep. there's problems with wholesome protocols where timings are not there or stimulations not there, then I try to validate that with bimodal milking or yep. uh, what do I see that the cow's telling me and then try to relate this to and try to figure out what would be the best course of action. Can you tell me what is the more prevalent hole you find in protocols? You know, cause there's always different things but there's always one that keeps showing up. Can you tell me what is the most prevalent hole you find on a milking protocol? Yeah, so the, the sad fight we're having right now is um, I don't have time to force strip. You, you're really, the, you know, Mr. Producer, you're that much on the uh, edge of financial ruin if we don't force strip. Mm -hmm. the, well, I've got to get, got to get all these cows through the parlor, and I don't have time. The idea, the concept in milking is so counterintuitive, but it works every time we do it. And that yep. is, if you slow down, you'll speed up. Yep. Slow down to speed up. To me, that's that's the the step that is critical. You can't find abnormal milk if you don't force strip. Force strip is a great stimulator. Uh, if we don't get eight to 15 seconds of total stimulation, we're not going to get good letdowns. And we just keep going faster and faster. 
with the idea, I don't have time to do something. I don't have time to do this or that or another yep. thing. But I'd say force stripping is, is the sad one that I don't like to see dropped off. And I hate to argue with a guy that we need to have it. Now, some of these big places, they'll force strip uh, every two or three days. They'll force strip once a week. It means they'll put an extra person on a rotary. Yep. A big rotary in Texas, I was at a few, it's been four or five years. It was going so fast that they would strip once a week, but it, uh, one person couldn't ab actually absolutely strip all four teats. The cow came and went so fast. It was four seconds of stall flying by. So they would put an employee one shift a week and, and strip the front teats. And then the next shift they replaced with a different employee and he stripped <laughs> the back teats. So in two shifts, once a week, they got all four teats examined. So it was looking for mastitis. It wasn't that they yes, cared about a better prep. Yeah. And that's the sad reality that don't really think of what's best for the cow. They're just trying to look for abnormal milk. And I think you nailed that on the head. That's the one that I always encounter too, that it's either not there or, you know, lacking. And uh, I know we have discussed this before, but it's not just to have 10 seconds of stimulation. You know, the type of stimulation is matters. Yes. So I've been in parlors when if I take my watch and measure them, yep. they're getting 10 seconds. But if you're just pulling teats and not squeezing out streams of milk, you know, there's a difference. There's a variation there. And as far as stripping Tuesdays, we can call that now, it's never recommended. We always say that, you know, the, the cow is an animal of consistency and I will never like a cow to know who's milking or what day of the week it is. Yes. You know, I want every time she steps on the parlor, doesn't matter the stall, doesn't matter what day of the week or what's the shift that's going on. She feels the same thing. And that's the only way you can get your production constant. Agreed. Which at the end of the day allows you to make decisions if you know how much money is going to come in. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. What does a dairy producer find about the operation after performing an evaluation like this? The original idea of, of producing milk quality, reducing mastitis, however you want to measure what you're doing on the farm, um, was really anchored years and years ago. Andy Johnson came up with a mastitis triangle, which was the milkers and how they milk the cows the environment that we have the cows in, the barns, the bedding and all that stuff. And then the, um, the milking equipment. Milking equipment, as far as what, how much it contributes to the risk for mastitis, uh, new infections, is six to 20%. There's a variety of studies that have come out. So out of the three, it's the, it's the lowest frequency of causing problems. That said, if your equipment is malfunctioning or out of settings, there are times where it can be 100% of yep. the causes of mastitis. And, but it's, it's often not. So the other two are 80 to 85%. That's how we prep the cows and the, the tools we give the milkers to work with. And then the cow and her environment, nutrition, immune function, uh, environment, dryness, blah, 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 all those things. But Dr. Erskine from the Quality Milk Alliance and his study, he added, um, uh, a fourth component to the triangle. So I came up with, I call it the mastitis tent. So we've got four corners to it. So it's the three original triangles from the triangle. And then it's protocols and residue avoidance, which we've always been involved with, but that was not something in the original uh, mastitis triangle. And I use the analogy of a tent because covering the tent is always a cover, uh, a fabric to keep you out of the rain and stuff. And the fabric of the, the mastitis tent is labor, the employees. And they 
accomplish everything that needs to get accomplished. So they are critically important for everything done from equipment, attention and maintenance to the cows and comfort to how the cows are being milked to residue avoidance and treatment protocols. Every, all those things are really accomplished on dairies as they've gotten bigger and bigger by labor, not by the owner, but by labor. And so labor is the overarching factor that either we get good results or we don't get good results. And, and it's the training support of the labor that makes it all fit together. The good news for all dairy farmers is that sometimes those are the ones that react the quickest, right? With good training programs, with good development, uh, your cows can respond quickly by changing protocols and doing these changes and recommendations. So what uh -huh. are some of the oddest things you have seen on, on an evaluation? So just recently, uh, here's, here's one. I was down in Ohio on a, on a big parlor and he had, uh, he had two, so he had three vacuum pumps. So he had a 30 horse vacuum pump that he only used to wash the barn with, which is not unusual to have multiple vacuum pumps and they, you, they take turns so that they all work. You, we call it exercising the vacuum pumps. You don't want a, back, a backup pump and it never runs because the day you need to turn it on in an emergency, it won't run. It's stuck. It's, it's, yeah, it's like generators. Thrusters. No. Yeah, must exercise. So in this particular farm, he had a 30 horse which is what he used to wash. And this was a very big parlor. So a 30 horse uh, vacuum pump was appropriate. So to milk, he had two 15 horse pumps that had to run simultaneously. So I show up, he's been having mastitis problems. Um, somebody from the dealership was there uh, the day I arrived. And so we start a walkthrough and you know, I said, okay, take me to the mechanical room. Let's walk around, let's go out in the barns. We, we had some body equipment on at that point. I put some testing equipment on and then then I want to do a walk around. So we go into the mechanical room and I'm starting to look around, never been to this place before. The dealer guy, he's, he knows it, you know, and he's just kind of pointing stuff out, but I'm always snoopy. I look at everything like I've never seen it before. So I'm noticing the 30 horse pump is cooled down now because it, it's been a while since washing. Um, I find one 15 horse pump right next to that's running and the other 15 horse pump is over to another side of the mechanical room. So I walk over there and it's cold cold as ice and I go get the dealer I said hey um, this this barn needs 30 horses of vacuum to milk on and there's only one of these running and he said really I said yeah what's up with this one you know what's up ah oh I don't know ah I gotta call somebody so my question is how long has he been milking with just a 15 horse pump in a mm -hmm. in a huge parlor that needed more vacuum because if you turned it on and you one vacuum pump fires up and you can get the cups on, uh, the milkers wouldn't know the difference. They're, that's not their job. Yep. So I thought, wow, this, this place was, was uh, well laid out, but you think two pumps, great idea. They can work together in harmony. But now how do we monitor when something uh, breaks down, something fails? Uh, this, this kind of um, ability to monitor um, maintenance and monitor equipment is critical and this farm my take-home message for them was so what is your preventative maintenance program what's your pm because a lot of these parlors big parlors they're that and here we go here we go with tight tight profit margins so the dairy producer will um he'll delay preventative maintenance so only fix something when it breaks yes and from the point of breakage where it fails to when it stopped working really well could be months or years. 
and there's this slow decay or deterioration yep. on performance. Pulsators, pumps, milk pumps, um, all those things can decay slowly. I make the analogy, uh, I don't run my tires on my car to the point where I've lost all of the tread and I actually see some steel showing of the, <laughs> of the steel in the belt tires. Uh, I don't run it to that point and even beyond, I don't wait until I get a flat on the freeway and then I say, okay, I got to put a new tire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, preventative maintenance is critical on these parlors and it, you, you save a penny today and you're going to lose a dollar down the road. If you exactly. delay. Exactly. That, that's long. the main problem with these things. I work a lot in feeding and sometimes I tell them, you know what, maybe something that was a thousand bucks now became a $25,000 uh, piece of equipment you need to buy because you didn't invest at a thousand, you know, two years ago. And absolutely. And what is, what have you been doing to the cows in that journey as that equipment deteriorates, whether it's feeding or milking, you could have some mastitis cases that were a result of equipment malfunctions or deterioration invisibly, just, you don't notice it. And I think that also bring us to the importance of developing employees, right? You mentioned that those are the overarching tent that touch different parts of the milking process, the, the animals, their environment. And whenever I do trainings, I stress out uh, that they are responsible for equipment, not as far as fixing or really diagnostic problem, but they are in charge of at least one person on each team should be able to go through the line quickly before a milking starts and just perform an overview of where systems are at. If you can train one or two guys in your farm just to go over the lines and figure out where something is not turning on, where something is leaking, or there's a flow of air somewhere, and they don't know how to fix it, but they can quickly relay a message, I think that's key. I couldn't agree more. A lead, a lead person on a shift is critical. The wash-up period, there should be somebody there during wash-up and watch the wash. Are we getting fluid circulated through all the claws in the parlor? Have we got good flow. Is everything seem to work correctly? Or is there a, a unit, a stall,er more that didn't get turned on for wash? A variety of things can happen. Often the wash is when all the milkers have to run in and get a bite to eat because yep. they may have to pick back up again. It may not be a shift change at a wash point. Or if it is a shift change, the new guys come in and they chat with their colleagues that are yep. changing their clothes, which is great. I, nothing wrong with that, but then nobody's watching. And then when you come out of a wash step, a wash event, liners can be twisted. Vents should be checked to see if they've been opened up during the wash uh, and, and all the pulsators are starting back up. Yes, um, that stuff needs to be done regularly. And it's not, it doesn't require testing equipment. It just requires some simple techniques to say, is everything working coming out of this wash up? And we're back to milking for a few hours again. Can you tell me some of the success stories of farms that have gone through the evaluation process and then implemented some of the recommendations? And how quick was the turnaround? I've been in parlors where, you know, the protocol was the main problem. So we switched things around and then they started giving the cow enough time for the stimulation to work. And yep. all of a the sudden they jumped three pounds per cow because now with, with proper lag time, they were able to reduce by model milking and then yeah. gain some of that milk that they were leaving behind. So do you have any stories like that? Yeah. So um, I was working in Wisconsin with a dealer and um, it was a 80 stall rotary. And uh, some of these, some of these big parlors, it's not just because they're big, but the throughput, 
the demand on the employees just becomes so overwhelming that the whole process of harvesting milk becomes, um, I call it a war zone. Uh, um, and I, I've seen it as probably more on rotaries than anything because the rotary, these rotaries keep spinning faster because the dairyman needs to milk more cows. So the time that the milkers have to interact with the cows is shorter and shorter. So my strip, strip yields or my uh, force stripping, my towel event, all those things, they just get condensed and not what they need to be. So big 80 style rotary, 2,800 cows up in Wisconsin, central Wisconsin. Went there with a, a milk quality rep from the dealership and and this was a war zone and I'd been to this place before and, and both humans and animals were hating each other. <laughs> just, it was just terrible. You touch the cows and they're kicking like crazy because their teats are sore. The milkers are covered with cow manure, it's flying everywhere. And so they're unhappy with the cows and you just, I just almost got weary of going there, but with the with the research, this this would have been before uh, Erskine and I published that research on the the impact of biphasic a, a delayed milk ejection and uh, the milk that we aren't harvesting. And didn't you know you try to convince the dairyman you got to slow down? Can you can you milk a few less cows? You know none of the really simple solutions were were allowable. But the dairyman said, oh, "I got to milk this many cows. Oh, I got to pay bills. So you know, I, I, you know, I, I've got to do this." Oh, wow. So you'd walk out very frustrated. So we went there, and this particular parlor had some ability to do some tweaking in in some of the pulsation structures, and the goal was to try to reduce biphasics because it was eighty percent of all the milking events, wow. and the cows were uncomfortable, and the teats were sore, and the. the the representative from the dealership was angry about it too. He was frustrated. Cows weren't happy. The producer was unhappy. The milkers weren't happy. So we, myself and the the uh, dealership guy, we put our heads together and we said, what if we do a couple things that we aren't exactly comfortable, that we're not fixing the core problem of going too fast, but we could kind of put a bandaid on it and try to get uh, fewer biphasics and try to get the cows a better milking experience. That was the goal. So we did. Um, about a, three or four weeks later, I'm back in Michigan working and the guy from the dealership calls doc, um, remember blah, 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 dairy. Yeah. So uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, the owner called and I said, that's not a, that's never a good sign. You yeah. know, and they call that quick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Typically, if you fix it, they forget about you. Exactly. <laughs> so, so he said, I was nervous as a cat to pick up the phone. I said, yeah, I would have been too. I said, okay, spill the beans. What what did he hate about the things we did? Well, he said, what'd you do in my parlor? Oh. <laughs> Never <laughs> that a good was start the, either. That was the opening salvo. And uh, uh, we, well, we did we, we did a couple things. And he said, well, whatever you did, uh, and I, I need to stop right here and preface that this parlor was so overwhelmed that they weren't on a 24 hour schedule. They it, it was like a 30 hour schedule. So production per day, was not measurable there. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how we're so stuck on a milk for 24 hours a day and, and some of these parlors, huh, I don't know what that means here. Anyway, so what he did to measure uh, milk shipped was he counted the tankers that left the farm every seven days. So he had this rolling seven days. Huh. I, I ship X number of tankers in a seven day window. So that's how he measured milk production. Okay, that worked. He said, well, I don't know what you did, but the last two weeks here, um, 
I've shipped two more tanker loads of milk in seven each seven days. I thought the first week it was just a fluke, but yeah. this last week, same thing happened. What'd you do to my parlor? Whoa. <laughs> we did some good things. Okay. Yeah. Well, don't change anything. Don't change yeah. it. That was, that was the take home mission. He hung up. <laughs> yeah. So okay. I went back there a few months later and I've been back there a couple of times since. Uh, and wow. All of a sudden from, from a, a war zone to a happy place. I'm glad you mentioned uh, employees and how happy they are after, you know, some of the recommendations are implemented because some of the findings that I always see after doing evaluations have to do with employees, with protocols, with the time they have to rush or they don't have time to do everything else. They don't have time to launch because how your protocols are arranged. So employee morale and, you know, even turnover can be impacted by evaluations like this because now employees know they can do their job easier. And now they, they know and are more comfortable in the parlor. So then that can help you also in a, in a way that you didn't thought it was possible to, to help you out by having happier employees that stay working longer and easier. Um, the other value that some of these evaluations have for employees that I have seen is when you do a training that you're in a parlor and you have a bottled up training, you know, a couple slides that you use the same on yep. every single training you do, it loses kind of track with employees. But when you come with their data, when you go to that farm and show them, hey, remember the equipment we put, you know, two weeks ago here, this is what we learned from it. This is what your equipment's doing. This is how your cows are reacting. Then that gives them a sense of personal attention. And that definitely open up their ears a bit more. And then they react to your recommendations better because they know you're talking about their cows and the work they are doing. So evaluations can really complement a training program in a big way and make a big difference if the employees are going to comply or not. But when you show them pictures of post dipping in that farm, now they see, oh, well, we're not doing a good job. So it's more personal and they tend to react better when you complement the training with, a, with an evaluation like this. Agreed completely. Everything you just said, I agree 100%. Why should a manager take a look at performing an evaluation? You know, even if there's not huge problems, even if cell counts, let's say, are under 100, uh, why should they still look into performing an evaluation? And what will you recommend how often they should do one? So to, to do one initially, if you haven't done one, um, there's a lot of things going on in, in relationship to the cow, her comfort, the milking event itself, that uh, these vadias that we're now using is revealing that we never were able to really detect or measure with our traditional vacuum testing equipment. The vadia data is revealing these delayed milk ejections that you don't really always see. You can notice when the bowl is empty right after unit attachment and then then you get milk flow again, you can see them. But to quantify it and identify the frequency, how many cows are experiencing it, um, that's that's worth the price of doing something like that to begin with. Knowing the average claw vacuum at peak flow is critical. That's the number that we've always wanted to know. How about detachment? How are we over milking at the tail end? Are we getting units off? The strip yields would say they're really dry, but how long are they dry? How much over milking are we getting? So that's why it's worth having it done initially. And then the frequency um, is based on the fact that you've got turnover employees, you've got uh, fatigue, human fatigue. We're always going to drift in protocols. So annually, every six months, you know, the big parlors that are going 24 seven, 
uh, every six months isn't a bad frequency, um, at least once a year. To let all the uh, listeners and producers know, there's plenty of opportunities to perform an evaluation if you haven't done it. The dairy team in MSU Extension also have a couple different equipments of Varias throughout the state. There's about nice. three uh, groups of Varias throughout the state, and we'll be happy to contact your educator, and we'll happy to go out and measure your, your parlor, how it's performing, how your protocol's performing, and then provide a report coupled Excellent. with a training program, which is kind of key. You know, yep. sometimes we can tell you a long list of problems, but you know, helping you solve them, it's, it's key too. you know, providing that training for your employees. It's essential to try to avoid those problems that we are finding in, in the evaluations. Absolutely. Any last recommendations that you might have for producers out there that are tuning into the podcast? I'm biased, but I think the milking parlor is the heart of the dairy. I know the feed center is important. I know everything's important. I'm just going to. I think that's a chicken or egg uh, conversation blatantly, there. Blatantly biased. I think the parlor is most important because that's where I live. Training, training, training. Do not get frustrated that you get drift protocol. That's human nature. We all drift. You have to have middle management and trainers coming in to keep everybody focused. Do some surprising things to compliment your team. Um, yes. I know, you know, we didn't get into bonuses or quality bonuses, things like that, that, you know, all those things can work if applied in the right manner. There's ways to do it without a big financial impact. Absolutely. And, and do things, you know, you, you have, you have the milk quality corner in your break room where you're pointing it out because it's, it's important. Um, and then, and then do something nice. They're hitting their numbers, you know, gas cards and a pizza yep. party and, uh, and a barbecue in the summer and a soccer contest and blah, blah, blah. There's, yep. there's limitless ways that you can say thank you for all that you're doing for me. Been most pleased when somebody notices something I do unexpectedly and you get a attaboy and a pat on the back and yeah. huh, they they really were watching. Yeah. Oh. Like that call from the producer you talked a little bit about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you're walking, you know, you walk a little straighter that day and you yep. little little spring in your step. Wow. That really worked out. Okay. Let's do that again. Um, so yes, those kinds of things I think are always waiting and it's just mostly a, a, a lack of creativity or ideas. And that's where working with extension people uh, like you, Martina, it, it, it can really make you money. It, and um, the parlor, the harvesting milk, milk pays the bills, baby. So yeah. let's do it right and let's get all we can get out of these girls. And, it's, and if we really mean it, I'm tired of hearing this and not seeing it. It's what's best for the cow. Well, thank you very much for joining our program today, Dr. Thompson. And I'm sure this is a topic that we can dive deeper on future episodes and future seasons. So thanks for stopping by the podcast and sharing some of that experience with us. My pleasure. I look forward to talking with you again soon. We shared good information on what can you learn from evaluating your parlor. I would like to tell all the producers tuning in the program that MSU Extension is equipped to perform these types of evaluation, so if you're interested in one, reach to your local Extension office or contact your local Extension Dairy Educator. For more information, you can also email carrasq1 at msu.edu and I'll be happy to help you reach your educator. If you are a consultant, feel free to share that information with your clients in Michigan as the dairy team from MSU Extension is here to serve them. 
Part of today's episode focused on the importance of employees in any dairy operation. To expand on this topic regarding labor management, join us next week when educator and farm manager Faith Collins meet with Carrie Novis, a dairy farmer from mid-Michigan that manages a team of 20 employees. They will talk about recruitment and retention of good employees on the farm. So please join us then. Mm-hmm.